You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Wall Street Journal Deputy National Editor Matt Murray goes on the record online. A lot really depends on the importance that that company places on PR. There are CEOs who can't stand talking to the press, who think that we're all a bunch of jackals and who hold the PR people at arm's length. And talking to a reporter for them is like taking medicine and anything negative that appears in a story is the fault of the PR person. That's a very difficult place to build a relationship. Where the, where the, where the PR person is, is incorporated into the company and part of the strategy um, and the commands expectations and the executives take it seriously, that's a much more fruitful relationship. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. If you are a regular listener of the show, welcome back. If it's your first time listening... We do uh, in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as um, occasionally we'll also do uh, bloggers, podcasters, newsmakers, professionals from the media business, from the PR business. We generally focus on how technology and new media is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business. But from time to time, we also broaden the topic to um, help people in the business community understand various aspects of public relations, media relations, and online communications. Uh, This is a special episode of uh, the podcast being recorded at the Media Relations 2006 conference in New York. Uh, We have a one-on-one interview with the Uh, Wall Street Journal's deputy national editor. His name is Matt Murray. Uh, If you are streaming this program and you would like to subscribe, it doesn't cost anything. It's free to subscribe, and you can do that by going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com, and you can either subscribe through iTunes or Yahoo Podcasts or uh, Podcast Alley or a number of other um, podcast aggregator services online. And if all that sounds like gibberish and you don't understand it, there's a tutorial uh, at that site that will explain to you how you can subscribe to this podcast. Uh, This interview with Matt Murray runs around 24 minutes, and it comes to you, as always, entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Matt Murray is a deputy national editor at the Wall Street Journal and a former Chicago Tribune journalist. Uh, He authored the book, The Father and the Son, My Father's Journey into Monastic Life, uh, which is an account about his father, the Reverend James Murray. Matt Murray has a master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University. I am with him at the Media Relations 2006 conference in New York, and uh, thank you for taking the time to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks. It's good to be here. Describe, if you would, the personality of the Wall Street Journal versus its competitors. 
probably a smart, college-educated, slightly uptight business type, I would say, is our personality compared to, let's say, the grittier street smarts of a New York Daily News. Um, our aim is to be the premier second read for everybody in the country, um, to have the most business coverage and exclusive business news. And in other areas like uh, government, uh, politics, to have the smartest, most analytical stories. The journal's personality is really to give value add to stories that may be out there in the ether, but give the smartest take, the best take, the most complete take. If it's a business story that's been announced today, to give you more information than anybody else is getting, to really give you the extra information to make decisions for your day. When you say second read, I'm surprised. I mean, I would think you guys would want to be the first read. Well, we certainly want to be the first read for business people. Um, but we don't have aspirations to be uh, the New York Times, for instance, which wants to be the premier read, all the news that's fit to print. I think there are many people who do turn to the journal first, particularly compared to the local newspaper. And I would say that um, for business readers and people interested in, in, in the subjects that we specialize in, especially, of course, we want to be the primary read, the primary resource. I think our research shows that people spend a lot more time with the journal than they might with the local paper. Um, when I say that, I only mean that we don't aspire to be the newspaper of record for everything happening in Washington politics, let's say. It's interesting because recently the journal has gotten more into lifestyle news. You've yep. got the Saturday edition now and the personal journal uh, more frequently. So it almost seems like the journal is becoming more lifestyle and more... I guess a ma more a mainstream reader's publication and less a business publication. Yeah, I think th I well, I think that that's true somewhat. I mean, I think we still have a business focus. I mean, we we've, we've identified an area that affects our readers' lives very personally and that also touches on business that we weren't really covering before. So, for instance, in our personal journal section, um, hopefully you'll see a lot of medical information or travel information that we didn't that didn't used to have another home in the paper that may affect your life as a business person traveling or personally. I'd say that's certainly true. I would add that uh, one thing people don't always realize about the journal is if you look at our paper from 15 years ago, before we started all the sections that we have today, inside the paper we would have a lot of press release news and sort of basic business tidbits. But if you leaf through our paper today, we have news stories on every page. Every page inside the sections has news, and we strive every day to have that be exclusive news, smarter news than you're going to read elsewhere. People sometimes forget that when they talk about the business of life, but we've transformed the paper quite a bit. Now, at, at one point, one of the major functions of the paper was to convey the ticker symbols mm -hmm. and all that type of information, which is now a commodity. It's available online. Are you guys still running all the uh, market, um, all the... All all that coverage, or is that something you see going away? We've cut back on some of our market data, and I think that it, it's an ongoing consideration for us and for some of our rivals. You may know the New York Times recently uh, eliminated its stock listings. Um, because news space is so valuable these days for all of us and because uh, a lot of this is available online, we have uh, added some statistics that um, are unique to us and keep trying to find ways to uh, give value add to readers, and it's an ongoing subject. And, and one of the things we are trying to do as well is tie the print edition with the online edition more closely and lure more readers in that direction. If you go to our website, you can call up data on any company and slice it, dice it 500 ways. And you guys are almost the poster child for a premium web service. You were like the first ones to charge to view the journal online. 
Time Select. They recently are doing right. something similar where they're trying to charge for access to the columnists and the op-ed uh, um, that's in the paper daily. Do you see or do you have any uh, visibility into the numbers of subscribers to the online edition versus the print edition? Do you see a shift there? I think that um, I'm not the expert on this subject, but I think that we have about 700,000 online subscribers, and most of them have been in addition to or on top of our print subscribers. We haven't seen um, uh, much drop off on the print level. I think we've been pretty flat. We haven't uh, seen uh, much growth, but I don't think we've we've seen the kind of drop off that say some metro papers have seen in their circulation. Recently, we've been trying uh, some new offers overseas um, to uh, offer people subscriptions to both editions and try to link them more closely. I think we'll probably do more of that in the future. Now, you're a, a business unit of Dow Jones. Right. And obviously, uh, Dow Jones is involved with Reuters and Factiva, and there are so many different uh, businesses uh, that Dow Jones owns. Mm -hmm. What is the relationship between Dow Jones Newswires and the Wall Street Journal? Well, we're separate units and separate entities, but we are um, linked in certain ways and hope, hoping to get more linked in some ways. Um, increasingly, in recent years, the newspaper has picked up uh, Dow Jones stories uh, for some areas of coverage. Um, what we've tried to focus on more and more with the journal staff is the premier value-added stories with the expertise our reporters bring. It's more common that we might use the wire story uh, for company earnings, for instance, as we're heading into earnings season, and you'll see some of that. Um, of course, wires, we also uh, uh, supply a lot of the briefs in our paper and our other things. And I think, again, that's an area where, as we rethink our mission and, and our resources where we'll probably see some more cooperation in the future. What um, type of technology do you use on a daily basis to help you do your job? Well, I'm on the web all day from the time I come in in the morning. Um, I'm In my particular job right now, I'm in charge of um, the news story that we run on the front page of the journal. When we did our last redesign three years ago, we added a news story every day. My job is to help pick that story and to edit it every day. Um, I am constantly reading other publications on the web and um, comparing our stories to others. One of the things that the web has done is uh, when I started at the journal 12 years ago, um, it, you know, even from that time, we, we didn't want to run stories that had appeared elsewhere. And the, uh, the Internet has made that competition that much more fierce. So I'm also spending time, um, you know, sussing out story ideas and proposals and seeing if we're truly unique. And that gets harder and harder today. But that's... Um, I'd say that's my biggest job. I use a BlackBerry all the time. I'm constantly checking my email, and, and most of the editors of the journal also have Blackberries. Um, I think technologically that's the heart of what I'm doing. PR Week every year does a uh, list of the top ten publications that business leaders would most like to be in. And you guys are either number one or number two or number three every year. Number three? <laughs> well, you're, you're, I, I don't remember exactly. You're either number one or you're, you're right up there yeah. at the top. So you're obviously a very influential publication, and people on the PR side, media relations side, I mean, they want nothing more than to get their client into the Wall Street Journal because it's an influential publication. Mm -hmm. What I'd be interested, interested to know is who are your influencers? What media outlets are you paying attention to, both in print and online? Hmm. I think probably... Um it depends on uh, which arena we're competing in, and that's a lot of them. I mean, uh, are you talking about in terms of competition or in terms of other story ideas? Cause in terms of the canaries in the coal mines that you look to as bellwethers of health 
or sickness for a particular industry. How is it that, I mean, for the most part, I would imagine you're working out of the New York mm -hmm. office and you can't be at the coal mine when there's a news about what's going on in the mining industry. You can't be, you know, everywhere all the time. So you've got to somehow monitor what's going on out there. How do you do it? Well, certainly in my job, um, you know, I'm relying on the reporters in the field a lot. So I'm not, for instance, monitoring the mining industry close. But I, I think for most of our reporters, it is really the trade publications and the trade newsletters and the specialties like that. We also do look at Wall Street analyst reports, uh, economic reports of all kinds, and do a lot of kind of parsing of those ourselves to look for, for ideas. Um, it is admittedly difficult in the age of the internet. I think um, 15 years ago, uh, there weren't as many people reading trade publications and they weren't as widely available. But you know, when I covered um, General Electric Company for a, lo a long time, and I would keep an eye on some of the hospital trade publications for news about GE medical equipment, and I would look at uh, the, the, those kinds of publications in all of GE's areas um, to, to get ideas. I think we use them a lot for idea sources. We are not in the business of lifting stories from them, but we are trying to connect the dots and think about things and do the broader story. Given so many recent scandals surrounding uh, <clears throat> analysts who are connected with investment banking firms issuing positive buy ratings to get the investment banking business, has that shaken your confidence in the analyst community? Well, I'd like to think that our confidence in the analyst community for some of those reasons was never that deep. I think we were always aware that they were conflicted um, and that they uh, were doing business with, with uh, the, some of the companies that they were covering, and we wrote some about that. I think it's made us as a paper more aware of them, and we tend to quote analysts a lot less than we used to and to be more cautious about it. Um, that said, I think I can say from my days as a reporter that analysts, while in a conflicted position, also know the companies a lot and can be a source. But like any source, with uh, there, there's really almost no such thing as a source that doesn't have some potential conflict of interest, and you have to navigate those shoals. Um, so you have to be cautious about it, and you have to be careful in quoting them. And I think that we, as I say, we've grown more careful. But um, they can be useful, too. So how has the web changed or impacted the way you find, research, and qualify news? It has speeded it up immensely and made the competitiveness factor uh, much, much tougher for us uh, by a wide margin because um, there are so many smart people and bloggers and others out there competing on the web with the news all the time. Um, I think our tempo, and by the way, it's not just the web, it's TV. When I started at, uh, at the Journal, um, there was no CNBC at that time, or it was a, a tiny, uh, nascent network. Now, when we have a news story, we want to break it. We want to be on the news wires and on our website before the New York Times, before CNBC has it on TV, before everybody else. And our tempo that way has gotten much, much quicker. I think in terms of the journal's mission of finding the stories or writing the stories in a way that nobody else is doing, again, the web has just made it that much tougher. Um, you know, uh, I was in the Pittsburgh Bureau when I began my career with the Wall Street Journal, and we, were reading, we would read the papers in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Cleveland, and, and the, that area which we covered. And, you know, we were the ones who read them. Well, now I can read all of those papers online every day. If one of them breaks a big story, it's going to be national by the end of the afternoon. That's made it much tougher for us. So clearly the record industries were the first ones to feel the real brunt of, uh, of networked connectivity with the uh, 
appearance of Napster. Yeah. Now, you know, some people, although it's too soon to say, but some people would say that the newspaper industry is next. Um, and others speculate that the health of the broadcast television business could be the next shoe to drop because essentially the ability to distribute video online uh, takes the wind out of their sails with respect to exclusivity in their market. Um, what is what is your uh, perspective over where we're headed from a mainstream media business standpoint? I mean, do you see some sectors as being uh, more susceptible to, to feeling the pain and the brunt of internet new media technology than others? Yeah, I do, and I, we, it's, it's a story that we cover a lot and a subject that we discuss a lot. We, we just had a story in the paper uh, on a slight side note about D uh, Walt Disney trying to now post uh, a lot of its television shows on its own website starting in April, and I think that's a, another example of a company trying to get out ahead of this trend and understand it. I mean, my view is uh, there's going to be a lot of pain, but there are going to be some survivors too. Um, it's hard to know what the strategy is that's going to help you win at this point, um, but we're all scrambling to do it. I mean, the hope I think that the Wall Street Journal has is that because we are by definition a value-add paper, because we have a national ad base, that we are giving something extra and that we'll get through this period in good shape and still be a, a, a quality publication that people will turn to. We're kind of a publication uh, of choice by definition. That could be a Pollyannish hope, but I think that's, that's our hope, and so far it seems to be going okay. I think for a, a Metro paper, for instance, um, that's a more difficult situation. I mean, their ad base is really being taken away by the Craigslist of the world, and their challenge is to match the local online news sources that are coming up. Um, I do think that there is going to be a demand for newspapers and people are going to want to read the news and not necessarily read it all online, but there's a lot else up in the air. Are you receiving email pitches from PR people daily? Yes. How many do you get a day? I have winnowed it down somewhat. I probably get five or six now, and since I'm not at this moment actively reporting, I'm sure that my reporting colleagues get a lot more than I do. Are they better or worse uh, than they were five years ago? the quality of the pitches? I think that they often are worse, uh, I suppose I would say. Um, you know, uh, there are certain traits that I notice cropping up now. One of them is the mass email. You know, sometimes I get invited to a lunch and somebody who I've never met will write, Dear Matt, and three people sitting around me will get the same email only with their names in them. Uh, there's a lot, there's more mass emailing. There's more sort of blanket emailing. Um, I think, and I tell PR people this all the time, and it can be difficult with a paper like ours, admittedly, but for all the new technologies out there, nothing replaces the personal relationship and the, the, the hard work of getting to the reporter and building the personal relationship. Maybe tell us a story. I mean, have, do you have relationships with PR people? Uh, uh, less so than I used to, but yeah, I, I, I still keep in touch with a few of them. Can you tell us a story of a PR, a PR person who managed to build a relationship with you, get your attention, and foster that relationship and develop it into a productive, mutually productive situation? I think probably the best relationship I had was uh, with a, a person here in New York who used to run his own firm. I met him because he was an outside a PR guy for a company I covered. And um, uh, the, of course, the reporter PR relationship is a very complicated one with a lot of unwritten rules, but it involves, among other things, his being honest with me and me being honest with him and having a space where we can be honest with each other while not necessarily betraying our own constituencies. He was very helpful 
with me in an honest way and backing up information I'd heard or letting me bounce ideas off of him. And I think he found me somebody who, because of the relationship we had built, could bring me a client. And, and if I had a story that the client worked in, uh, that might be great. If, if not, that might work too. Um, he, had, he, he had been a reporter and had a realistic understanding of how the media worked. Um, I think this might be a little off topic, but I would say uh, one of the broad observations I've had as comp- from covering a lot of different companies is that a lot really depends on the importance that that company places on PR. There are CEOs who can't stand talking to the press, who think that we're all a bunch of jackals and who hold the PR people at arm's length. And talking to a reporter for them is like taking medicine and anything negative that appears in a story is the fault of the PR person. That's a very difficult place to build a relationship. Where the, where the, where the PR person is, is incorporated into the company and part of the strategy um, and the commands expectations and the executives take it seriously, that's a much more fruitful relationship. Now, obviously, the uh, Wall Street Journal is primarily covering public companies, uh, but every now and then you'll see a story in there about a private company, uh, a company that may not even have big clients and and it's always an eyebrow raiser and you wonder hmm I wonder how this small company that's not traded on a public exchange caught the attention of a Wall Street Journal reporter and, and got mentioned how does that happen well I think um, first it is true that we will focus more on public companies of course that's a, a core part of our mission but we do have a few areas where we uh, have an expanded palette um, one of them, for instance, is the entrepreneurship column uh, written by Gwendolyn Bounds. She is always on the lookout for really interesting uh, human stories about entrepreneurs. Another place might be some of our management coverage. We have Carol Heimowitz, our management column, and several reporters who cover management issues. I think it's a challenge as a reporter to find those stories. You get so inundated with pitches. I have tried to do some of them in the past. But I think that our reporters will always be sensitive to truly interesting human stories that really are different from the pack. It may not be necessarily always what the person pitching the story thinks is, is different, but, um, you know, Wendy, I know in, in her column is always is talking to lots of people and has her ear tuned to the ground. Um, I, so there are those opportunities for them. Are there particular blogs that are a must read for you every day or websites that are a must read for you every day? Um, I move my blogs around somewhat. I will read Andrew Sullivan's blog and a few others, and I go through phases with different blogs. Uh, To me, a lot of the blogs, it's not that different than like a news magazine. Once I've kind of figured out the blog after a few months, I kind of know where it's going to be on an issue. I'll move on to something else. So I think that one of the questions for a lot of blogs is, is will they stay fresh and engaged for a long, long period of time, or will they be faddish? And I say that as a big fan of the blogs, by the way, uh, not as one of the journalists who's scared of them. So, you know, I'll check them, some of the media blogs and Gawker and Romanesco and the ones that the reporters look at. I'll look at Sullivan. During the election, I kept a close eye on a lot of the campaign blogs. I was editing our Washington copy at that time. Right now, I'm spending a lot of time on arts and culture blogs. I like Terry Teachout's blog. with our uh, Terry is uh, our drama critic. Um, I've looked at some movie blogs. I look at some TV blogs. I like to mix it up a lot. A lot of people um, say that they feel that the journal has a capitalist bias in all its news reporting, mm. not just the uh, national news or policy news or business news, but also even the culture desk. Do you agree? 
No. Um, I think um, our editorial page, of course, is a very strong, aggressive page, um, um, and free markets is core to what they do. I suppose you could argue that by definition, by treating businesses seriously and with the depth that we aim to do, that we that suggests a capitalist bias, but I don't think we ever look at it or discuss it in those terms. Um, we write an awful lot about uh, all kinds of people from the CEOs on down to the poor and really consciously try to capture the whole picture. I think that we do write from a perspective that business is central to U.S. life and very important for people to know about, and I suppose you could call that a capitalist bias, but I'm not sure what an, I don't, I don't mean to sound naive, but I'm not sure what an anti-capitalist bias or different kind of bias might be exactly. Um, I think that um, there are plenty of companies and CEOs out there who would tell you that the story that they hated the most about themselves or their company that they ever read ran on the Wall Street Journal. So, I guess uh, one example of a um, more social socialist perspective would be perhaps the French government's reaction to iTunes mm-hmm. and wanting to, I don't know if you saw that news, but the news was that um, iTunes, uh, the, the French government did not want to allow iPod to have a proprietary connection to iTunes. They mm-hmm. wanted to open that up so that there'd be more competition and so that uh, there would be no um, proprietary advantage. And, and the response, I think, from, uh, from the Apple organization was that uh, that would be a, 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 um, a recipe for piracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that that might be one perspective. Or, of course, if you look at the op-ed page of the New York Times, you see certainly more um, c- more focus and more um, uh, attention to, uh, you know, public issues. Uh, the, the, certainly there is, you can't deny, there's friction between, in many times, the public good and corporate interests. Um, that is certainly true. That's certainly something that we try to cover. And I, w- I think it's certainly true that the New I mean, the New York Times... Uh, editorial page and op-ed page, I think in some ways is similar to our philosophy, only they are steered, tilted to the left as ours is tilted to the right. But I think probably, just as a reader, they, they may cover a more broad range of topics, including a lot of metropolitan New York topics. Um, I think that that friction is a real thing and something that we would try to cover. But um, I would also hope that we bring a real-world perspective to those things. I mean, I think that I could argue that there are other publications that might automatically take the anti-corporate stance or the anti-Apple stance. Um, and I, I hope that what we would give is a balanced view, and that's certainly what we strive to do. Um, I uh, would never claim that any newspaper, ours or any others, doesn't have examples of uh, certain bias in the way that we choose to cover stories. It, it's not a conscious thing, um, but uh, it certainly exists and I, and I say that because it's certainly something we discuss and wrestle with in the newsroom ourselves. But our goal and what we strive to do on every story is to give a complete view of all sides, and we push our reporters and really try to get that. Well, the great thing for me as a reader um, is to be able to put the New York Times op-ed and the Wall Street Journal op-ed side by side, read both points of view, and then decide what my point of view is. And uh, I think for that, I'm grateful to the Wall Street Journal for being there. So thanks for taking the time to do the interview. Thanks. I appreciate it. 
You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 